Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Eternal Kingdom by Michelle Roger. Copyright 2014. Chapter 1. Quinn took his seat in the middle of the room. While vampires had not had a ruler or leader for over a millennium, a summons from the council was serious. Sitting in the lone chair in an empty room made it feel like a terrorist interrogation. In front of him sat the four members of the council. Guards, newly converted vampires with enormous strength and little patience, lined the walls. A dim light hung over him and another over the council. We have invited you here today, Mr. Quinn, regarding the matter of the charge of yours, a Mr. James Banger. Quinn shifted slightly in his chair. Within himself, he contained an emulsion of fear, anger, and elation. A side door opened and James wrapped in helio bonds, was dragged in by two guards. Quinn's heart leapt. In the instant he saw James, Quinn wanted nothing more than to wrap his arms around him and simultaneously rip his throat open with rage. As the council addressed James, Quinn stared at his lover and reminded himself that love was the most loathing and pathetic of illnesses. The council redirected their questioning. Now, Mr. Quinn, when was the last time you saw Mr. Banger? asked Ruth. Over a year ago, admitted Quinn. Had you released him from your charge? No, answered Quinn sheepishly. Your convert left your charge prematurely for over a year, and you did not report it. Is that correct? Quinn stared down into his hands and confessed. His southern drawl was slow, and his words elongated. I did not report it to the council. I assumed J- uh, well, rather, Mr. Banger would come to his senses and return to his studies under my care. I know full well the punishment for not reporting a young man's escape, but I felt certain that he would return to his senses and come on home. You knew the law, and you broke it, spat Jeremiah. Let me bring to light for you and Mr. Banger what your failure to follow protocol has done. A large screen came to life to the left of the council. A blue-gray video, clearly from a security camera, began to play. It was James, fit, well-dressed, just like Quinn remembered him. James was stalking his prey in the footage, following a thin, sallow man. James's lean, muscular body rippled under his tight gray shirt as he approached the man. Before the security camera, James appeared to be having an innocent conversation with a lesser-dressed man. The two men in the video exchanged a few laughs, and after moments, James handed the man a small item. At this, Quinn exhaled in disappointment. He knew what was about to play out. It only took seconds for the thin, weary man to wrap an elastic around his forearm and jab the needle James had given him. 
The James of the video shifted back and forth with anticipation. He watched the man as he slumped down the wall in a seated position and said a few words. James paced in the confines of the alley as he watched the heroin run through the man's bloodstream. As the overdose began to take effect, the man fell over and James pounced. In a bizarre reenactment of the scene, James gave in to his own uncontrollable addiction. There was the agitation as he waited for the drugs to enter the man's body. The build-up of anticipation as James imagined the heroin-filled blood pumping through his heart. The saturation of the body as the blood reached the brain of its victim, and then James went in. The victim's jugular was swollen from the overdose. James bit into the artery and drank deeply. He twisted and contorted the addict's body to squeeze every last ounce of the heroin-laced nectar from him. Then, high and without care, the James of the video left the body out in the open. With its definitive marks of a vampire left in plain sight, was later discovered by a bouncer from the nightclub. The screen went blank, and Ruth looked at the present-day James with a rage that was brewing just under the surface. Mr. Banger, did you have this addiction when you met Mr. Quinn? James said nothing. Jeremiah presented the question again, but James also gave him no response. Quinn cleared his throat in encouragement, but Ruth held up her hand in a gesture demanding silence from Quinn. Jeremiah stood and pointed a small pen-like device at James. The helio bonds around his neck instantly came to life. Radiant sunlight trapped in his cuffs cooked away the first few layers of his flesh, making a searing sound as they did so. Quinn gasped in empathy and horror as James fell to his knees in pain. You have to answer the question, Jeremiah said with a rage at the precipice of his voice. Answer! Yes, James answered, but his voice was weak. Jeremiah turned and asked Quinn, Did you give this rogue any instruction as to avoiding detection in the age of security cameras and digital media? Did you ever strive to make it a point that our way of life must be kept secret to maintain our survival as a species? There was some instruction, yes, Quinn stammered. All modern-day hunting demands the utmost security. Jeremiah continued, And you knew the drug addiction and you hid it from the council? You let a rogue vampire run loose who clearly had little regard for our laws or ways of life, one who clearly was unable to quench his newly attained thirst, compounded with an insatiable appetite for a human drug? Is that correct? Quinn ran his fingers through his thick black hair and straightened his tie. Yes, sir. As is custom to our laws, you know that the fault lies solely with you, Mr. Quinn. If you had the audacity to convert a human to this eternity, then you are responsible for that charge until they are fit to abide by the rules set in place a long time ago. It is the only way. I take full responsibility for the severe indiscretion, Quinn replied humbly. He stared at James, who looked weak from the solar-powered bonds and completely unaware of the gravity of the moment. May I address the room before my sentencing? Jeremiah nodded, and Quinn stood. He smoothed out his suit and put his shoulders back. James noticed Quinn had donned the one remaining treasure from his days as a soldier in the Civil War. 
his medal of honor. Quinn straightened the medal and began. It would seem that life takes on a certain focus for each individual who walks on this earth. Some spend their time saturated in the helping of the less fortunate. Some surround themselves in art and music. I have admired those who could find that fulfillment in those pursuits, and I dare say I even envied them. But I was inclined to a different, darker road. Alive, I lived by the code of a soldier, kill or be killed. I plotted, hunted, and destroyed my targets by day and scrubbed the blood from my stained hands by night. Not much changed as someone who was undead, save my reasons for applying my skills became far less complicated. Survival, pure and simple. Quinn turned to James. I am no poet. My schoolhouse teacher chased me with a switch because I refused to write a single essay. Quinn stopped to smile. He stared at James sincerely as tears welled up in the old soldier's eyes. But when I met James Banger for the first time in all my eternity, I saw something beautiful. Killing lost all of its allure, and blood was merely a way to feed. The world had far more to offer than hunt or prey. James taught me that I could devote a hundred lifetimes to taking care of someone less fortunate than myself. Quinn paused and drew in a jagged breath and turned to the council. Without sounding contrite, my only defense for not informing the council of Mr. Banger's disappearance is that I knew the consequences for his actions. I knew he would be hunted, and I love him too much to see that happen. It falls on deaf ears, but I had sincerely hoped that James would come to his senses and come on home. Quinn turned once more, this time staring at the floor and caressing the edges of his metal. I'm sorry. I never loved anybody before. I didn't know how, and I failed. But I did try with the utmost sincerity. The room was silent for several long minutes. Jeremiah closed his eyes as if in prayer. Ruth drummed her perfectly manicured fingernails on the table in contemplation. Then the council members stood in unison. Mr. Quinn, please prepare for your sentencing, said Ruth. Quinn stared at the council as he stood at attention and replied, I'm ready. What are my orders? The council then sentences you, Mr. Quinn, to immediate termination, death by light. James stood up in alarm, whipping his head round to stare wild-eyed at Quinn. He began to fight the guards in protest. No, please, it's my fault, it's my fault. Ruth pointed the small pen device at James and his heliobonds began to glow brightly. Smoke rose from wherever the restraints touched his skin. His knees buckled from the searing of his feet. His hands trembled as the cuffs cooked away at his wrists and arms. And when James was silenced and fully prostrated on the floor, gasping, Ruth reduced the strength. Guards clad in leather gloves, jackets, pants, and Kevlar masks forced Quinn into his chair. James began to sob loudly from the floor. Quinn and his chair were carried to the outermost far wall. James watched as the council and the remainder of the guards donned thick goggles, leather sheaths, and gloves. He was unaware of the protective cloth 
the guards haphazardly wrapped around him. He stared terrified at the quiet, calm man who faced the wall. In the last second, Quinn turned to look at James. A small smile crossed the elder man's face as if to reassure his charge one last time. The solid steel wall slid open and the out to the outside, revealing a preeminent dawn. Quinn faced the rising sun without a fight. James and the council watched as Quinn stared the morning light down with every ounce of dignity a soldier could exude. He bravely fought the urge to scream as the morning sunlight hit his face. His body shook as he tried to maintain his composure. The heavily gloved guards tore away at his tie and ripped away his tailored suit, jacket, and shirt. His belt was removed as a guard used it to secure him to the chair. Next, the guards removed all of the clothes from his lower torso. Fully exposed and vulnerable, Quinn gave in to the agony. As the morning sun rose higher in the sky, its radiant light bore holes into Quinn. He choked and writhed, raising his arms in a feeble attempt to shield his face. James could see sunlight through Quinn's torso. Blackened flesh hung off of his bones. Smoke enveloped him as his screams of agony filled the room. At the momentum of heat and as the radiation peaked, Quinn burst into flames, the clothes at his feet acting as kindling. James fought the urge to vomit as the smell of burning flesh hit his nostrils. Soon Quinn's screams died and silence filled the stark room. James looked on at the fire that was the wooden chair and Quinn's corpse. Flames slowly turned to smoldering embers. Guards nodded to the council to confirm he was dead. All that remained of Quinn was a pile of ash. The door was shut tight, leaving the wind to carry away the vampire's remains. Broken and sobbing, the guards dragged James closer to the council members. Jeremiah stared at the man with disdain. You see, what Quinn tried to teach you by gentle example, vampiric law will teach you by swift and just punishment. You will remain in incarceration until such time you are found useful. James was carried away back to his cell. With the guards dismissed, the council convened in secret session. I'm not sure I can stomach another hundred or so of those, remarked Jeremiah gloomily. Quinn was a friend. Ruth sighed. Another twenty of those and word will spread like wildfire. There will surely be revolution. I've held my tongue throughout these proceedings thus far as I'm new to this post, Micah declared in a high-pitched voice. The facts and figures remain. We have never been the kind of to hold or to imprison. The cost is killing what budget we may have set aside for disciplinary measures. I've contacted the councils of Spain and Turkey, Japan and Romania, and they all have similar issues. Young vampires not only caught on surveillance camera, but also on cell phone video. We must adapt and improve our ability to conceal our identities with the changing present-day demands. Unfortunately, it would seem as though the latest figures point to our evolutionary inability to adapt fast enough. Too many of us are being noticed, caught on camera, driven by hunger or driven mad by starvation for fear of being caught. We face an incarceration and rehabilitation program the likes of which we've not seen in, in any of our history. 
We need a way to feed the ones we found who've been driven to madness, and we need to rid ourselves of those who will not adapt to a far more discretionary methods. In the past, we've merely made examples of those who stepped way out onto the fringe, added Ruth, hopefully. Let the others in the facility listen to James sob for a while. Jeremiah stood to speak. This is not a matter of one or two problems. There are many cases before the council. If Micah's research is correct, it appears it's a global epidemic. Much of them are just like James and his blatant disregard for keeping our existence a secret. We are not designed to make our own kind live on the blood of rats. We are not the kind to imprison. It is a disgrace to us. Let the humans judge their own. I would rather live by the sword. While we cannot let the world discover who and what we really are, surely a solution is before us. Execution at the rate of necessity will inspire revolution. A vampiric war would surely catch the interest of the human digital world. Ruth called for the guards who had stood just outside the door. She gave Micah a slight sneer. I've never believed in statistics or numbers. Let me see the crisis firsthand. Guard, call your captain to the council. Tell them that we are adjourning to the facility where we request a tour. You will take us now. This is far too serious to leave to figures on parchment. Micah's long strides quickly took them through the thick doors into the facility. He was immediately overwhelmed by the stench. The air, thick from lack of ventilation, reeked of death and decay. Cries for mercy echoed down the makeshift prison corridor. Solar bonds formed an impenetrable seal at each bar, door, and lock of every cell. Daily exposure weakened the vampire prisoner inside, who also wore the solar bonds around his neck and wrists. The captain took the lead, his muddy jacket tattered, trailing behind him. Ruth reminded herself to make note. Whatever they were paying him, they should double it. Ladies and gentlemen of the council, welcome to hell, he said, his mouth forming a sadistic smile. He gestured for them to follow. Ruth wrapped her leather coat tight against her sleek body. She could feel the effect of the sun's channeled energy in the sealed doors of the cells as she passed by. Jeremiah pulled a pair of sunglasses from his pocket and wore them in the otherwise dark grouping of cells. As they passed, they peered into the cells as the captain named the reasons for each of the prisoners being inside. This one was caught on a city traffic camera drinking the blood of the woman he had just screwed in the backseat of a car. This one was posing as a doctor at a free clinic. Administrative cameras caught her stealing sleeping pills. Our clever friend here would drop them in the drinks of healthy young men at the bar after hours. When her victims would pass out at the wheel, she would arrive at the scene, clear the crowd announcing she was a doctor, and then she'd kill him before the ambulance could arrive. Micah seemed impressed as they made their way to the next cell block. Some of the vampires looked up with haggard, desperate faces. Some lay on the mud floor, never bothering to acknowledge a visitor at all. A few rushed the bars, calling out for help, only to be burned by the solar energy at the seal. One prisoner wildly gripped the bars filled with channeled sunlight. His hands immediately began to smoke, and his flesh turned black and charred. Blood! He screamed for it. His face twisted and contorted, disfigured from starvation and madness. 
He pressed his face against the cell door, burning his face as he snapped his jaws and jagged teeth in a virtual bite. The council members looked on in horror as the prisoner ignored his incinerating body for the chance to beg for a feed. Jeremiah and Micah stepped back from the man and walked on ahead with disgust. But something stirred inside of Ruth. She knew full well he would never recover his mangled hands without blood to drink. Pulling her leather sleeve up from her wrist, she called to the guard to open the prisoner's cell. The prisoner began to weep, and he fell to the floor, released from the torture of the persistent solar energy. Give me your knife, she ordered the guard. The new vampire didn't move but laughed. How dare you disobey an elder's order, she screamed. Before the guard realized the situation, Ruth had relieved him of two spare heliobond cuffs. Opening the half-moon-shaped rings, she plunged one half of the circle up his nose and into his sinus cavity. The thrust of her action sent the guard sailing to the floor. The other bond she snapped into a ring and shoved down the guard's pants, where it hung from his member. Gasping and coughing, the guard tried to speak and apologize, but soon his garbled talk turned to screams as Ruth found the remote and made the bonds active with the press of the button. She relieved the guard of his silver knife. Standing over the prisoner, she made a small cut in her wrist and let a few drops of her blood fall into his mouth. As he reached up to get, grasp her arm, she pulled away. What I have given you is enough. It will heal you. A flick of the remote again, and the prisoner was inside the strict confines of his heliobonds. Ruth then turned to the smoldering guard and released him. Take him and help him get a proper feed, she announced, and several guards came to carry him away. The captain said nothing for fear of any further wrath. Instead, he led the members deeper into the facility. The screams grew with ferocity. Some clawed at the mud floors in search of the blood of live worms and insects. Most of them drank mud in their deprived delirium. Unable to die, but unable to live either without the blood to drink, it was a purgatory the likes that Dante had never fathomed. Enough, said Ruth, holding her hand to the guard leading the tour. She turned to the others. How many inmates are we housing, Captain? At this facility? asked the captain. Jeremiah gasped. There's more than just one? The captain gulped and shot a nervous glance at Micah. I approved funding to the captain to uh, procure whatever empty buildings he could allocate and fit with helio-based technology. So far, we have roughly 60 total throughout the United States. Only one situation remains, and it must be done with the utmost discretion. It must be our Canadian Council that houses the truly starved and insane in the Alberta facility for us in an act of goodwill, but uh, nearly every country has to implement similar lockups for those caught and unwilling to hide their hunts and kills. Back in the meeting room, Ruth read Micah's facts and testimonies of other councils in other places with similar challenges due to the digital age. Jeremiah paced. Micah sat bewildered at the fuss. Jeremiah drew a deep breath and sighed. The last time our kind saw this much unrest and defiant behavior was in the Roman Empire. The liberties of that society had seeped into our culture, and while the Romans were feasting and vomiting, vampires were drinking the blood of their victims in the middle of the street, often for show. 
Humans soon discovered who and what we were and hunted us with ferocity and cruelty not measured by any modern-day standard. Well, how did you solve that problem back then? asked Micah. Jeremiah pulled out a book from his satchel and let it land on the table with a thud. He flipped through the yellowing onion skin pages until he found a picture and showed it to Micah and Ruth. We took the worst offenders to the Colosseum. Archers lined the entire arena. Rome offered her most famous criminals in a fantastic display of public trial. Two sides played a life-size game of chess between Caesar and a skilled vampire known as Cadell. For every piece taken, the archers shot human or vampire alike with a hundred flaming arrows. As Jeremiah recalled the game, Ruth watched him with revel in the glory and the triumphs. Hello everybody, this is Steve Nutt, the sound editor that Michelle mentioned at the beginning from Computer Room Services. Michelle very kindly offered to let me promo what we do. Computer Room Services, among other things, do restoring and editing of sound, and that includes recording podcasts for people, not recording them as such, but actually editing them, tidying them up, removing noise, removing hiss, and all that kind of good stuff, where, you know, people can't afford, quite rightly, hugely expensive recording equipment. So, if you want your podcast recorded, if you fancy recording a podcast novel, but you thought, oh, you know, I can't edit it, I can't clean it up, I can't make it nice and uh, sound nice and so on, then please feel free to hop over to www.comproom.co.uk slash services.html and you can see all the services that we do for the blind and the sighted alike, including editing sound, restoring old recordings, and editing podcasts for great people like Michelle. I'm certainly enjoying the story. I hope you are too. Bye-bye for now.